proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The confessional collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective for Truth Meets Mission. My name is Aaron Carr, and today I'm joined, as always, with my buddy, Chris Santola, and we are talking about the hot topic, Chris, of... Living Coram Deo. Which means, before the face of God. We are the Confessional Collective, so as always, we like to start with one of the confessions or creeds. Uh, me being the Westminster guy, I'm going to draw our attention to the Shorter Catechism, questions one through three, which are the introductory questions and really set up the catechism in its two halves, um, and you'll see why in just a minute. But let's look at those three catechism questions. The first is one that's pretty much known by everybody today, which is, what is the chief end of man, or what is man's primary purpose? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, one of the key texts that's used for this is a very popular text, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I like to stress that it's the mundane things that's focused here, not just the going to church, not just the singing of the Psalms, but the everyday things are to be done uh, before the face of God for His glory. And the next question then rolls into what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? If man's supposed to glorify him, how do I know how to do that? The answer comes in, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Very specific that it's the scriptures, Old and New Testament, 66 books, which God has revealed to us. Um, a gift to us of his revealed will of how we should live, which draws us then to the third question. Well, then what do the scriptures principally teach? And the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So a two-fisted fighter there. And a third question, the scriptures teaching us what we're to believe about God and what it des- who it describes him as being and also what God is telling us he wants us to do and how to live. And so believe and do are the two halves of what the scripture is declaring to us. And so, Chris, I'm going to pitch this to you. How does this catechism mm-hmm. um, work in the idea of, as it applies us to this idea of living before the face of God and what that really means to our listeners? Well, what we're getting at here is the Christian life. And uh, and particularly, we're going to be getting into sanctification, which I want to kind of talk about a little more as we continue on here, uh, because that's really what's involved with this whole concept of living before the face of God or living quorum Deo, as we would say. Uh, I, I think a great place that we can start with this is over in Psalm 51, verses 9 through 12. And as we get there, what I want you guys to understand about this is that to live quorum Deo is to live with the acknowledgement, the recognition, or understanding that we live ever before the face of God, that we live in the the presence of God, before his all-seeing eye, and that that can be a place of great comfort, 
Uh, it can be a, a, the place of great blessing, as we will see. But it can also be kind of a scary place to be if we're honest with ourselves. And that's where I reference over to Psalm 51, verse 9, where David there says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So there David recognizes in two places in those verses that he lives before the face of God. And there's a sense where he acknowledges his his unrighteousness, his sinfulness, his wretchedness, and that there's a sense of guilt before God to where he would cry out to the Lord, hide your face from my sins, uh, cast me not away from your presence. So in that sense, this can be a, a little bit of a fear-invoking understanding or, or doctrine of Scripture. But on the other side of it, we've got to see that it can also be a, a place of great blessing. And you see that in places like Numbers chapter 6 in the Great Shema, as Moses is told to bless Israel, that in two places it mentions, make your face to shine upon us, uh, make your, let your countenance shine upon us. And so there's this recognition that uh, as we live before the face of God, that this is a place of blessing to, to live before the face of God. And so when we talk about this, uh, we're talking about what it means to live the Christian life. And I think we, we all live with a little bit of that tension that we recognize of that, that it is a blessing and yet a fearful place to be. Yeah, for sure. As you, as you, as you think about the fact that God is everywhere and sees everything, there's a, a real sense of shame when we think about the sin, the thought life, the, the, the wicked desires of our heart, the way in which we treat our neighbor. Um, and, and I think that's what you're driving at. But at the same time, there is this description that the psalmist gives. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 42. Uh, as a deer pants for the water uh, stream, so my heart pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. Where shall I go and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and, and lead them in the pre procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise God, my salvation and my God. This repeated idea that there is hope in God, there is joy in God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That yes, we're sinners. Yes, we struggle with sin. But but we, um, by God's grace, have experienced through the work of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Spirit in us, this refreshing power, this, this new heart, this new mind, this new desire, and this newness is, 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 is what we long to be in the presence of God. We long to live for his pleasure and his good and his name and his glory. And so it really does come to the Christian life and the struggle between the battle of sin. That's why you want to talk about sanctification in this and, 
and seizing the day in a sense of I'm living every moment for God's glory. And that really begins to affect every aspect of our life, doesn't it, Chris? You think about everything from uh, the way I interact with my family to uh, the way I interact with the world, my coworkers, my neighbors, to even decision-making and uh, how I go about making decisions for the glory of God as opposed to my selfish desires and how do I know the difference. So I'm going to punt that a little bit to you, Chris, and let you kind of wrestle with what does it look like in the sense of decision-making and the glory of God? Because I know that you're, you're, you're in the midst of making some big decisions yourself. I am. And, you know, I've been so blessed lately to, uh, to have some great insight given to me from the scriptures. I was listening to uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones has an amazing sermon on uh, living in the will of God. And, uh, and he g- just really drew out some amazing insights from Paul and uh, particularly beginning in the book of Romans and throughout his missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And there were a number of things which he kind of pinpointed there. But I think one of the major things that we have to understand, and that is just a huge pressure that I think a lot of Christians feel as they try to discern God's will for their life, is we have this tendency to think of God's will like it's a dot that we have to stand on. And if I'm standing on the dot, I'm in God's will, and God's going to bless me in this place. But, man, if I step off that dot, you know, if I make the wrong choice and go to the wrong place or, or take the wrong job or, you know, whatever, that, okay, now I'm outside of God's will. Oh, no. You know, God can't bless me now because I stepped off of the dot. And one way I've heard this expressed is that uh, we have to understand that God's will is not a dot to stand on. It is a pasture to graze in. And I think that perhaps even beyond that to recognize, Christian, God's blessing, God's favor upon you is not in a particular place or circumstance or or decision of, are you going to work here or go there or whatever— God's favor and blessing upon you is in Christ, and you are going to be in Christ wherever you go. And so whatever decisions you make of where to go or what to do or whatever, as long as your goal in that is to glorify God, uh, you're, you're doing those things. It's not what you're, the decision you're making is not sinful, uh, but uh, but your your mindset is, I just want to bring glory to the Lord with all of my life, or like Paul said, you know, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, that uh, that God is going to bless you in whatever endeavor you choose, that you have got a pasture to graze in, and that the blessing is not standing on the dot, the blessing is in Christ. Yeah, and I think you're stressing that in Christ in in a, in a way that hopefully is refreshing and uh, revealing to our listener. It, it's not standing on that dot, but it is uh, grazing in the goodness of Christ, celebrating the goodness of Christ. Um, that's that's the gospel. That's that's the hope we have. And as you look through the Old Testament, you see the blessing that um, the the priest Aaron was even to. 
uh, uh, pray over the people and the and the and the benediction. It is may His face shine upon you. Right, this idea mm-hmm. that the the blessing of God is being before His face. That's what Christ makes possible. And so, if 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 Christ is our uh, propitiation for our sin, if Christ is the one who makes things right with God, it's not us. Um, making the right decision. It's not us uh, standing in the right spot. It is in Christ that we find our happiness. It's in Christ that we find our confidence. It's in Christ that we find our joy. This is what the psalmist is is crying out in Psalm 42, that that Christ is our hope, that God is our hope. And um, this comes into every decision you make, that it doesn't all depend upon you. It depends upon Christ, and and we are able to be before the face of God because of Christ. The, the wall of separation has been torn down because of Christ. There's great joy, uh, listener. There's great joy, Christian, as we look to Christ. And, and so when making decisions, um, seek the face of God and and trust in his, his gracious and sovereign hand. His, I don't know. I don't know if you can add anything more to that, Chris. But I think that's such an important point that when we think about living for God's glory, it almost creates this fear of trepidation. Well, what if I make the wrong decision? And we don't need to live that way. We don't need to live in that kind of bondage. No, no. I th- I think it comes down to that uh, famous saying: "Love God and do what you will." Um, you know, that sounds we, very Lutheran. We, that sounds very Lutheran. Yeah, yeah quite. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, it really, it's funny because it simplifies things down to such a point that I think some people get uncomfortable. But when you understand uh, of you, if you love God, love God and do what you will. Well, what you're going to do is going to have as it, at its heart the, the, the foundation that you love God. And, uh, and, you, you know, and, and, I think and you're going to desire to obey him. You're going to desire to be in the word, which is that second catechism question is if, if, if I have a heart that, that recognizes why I'm here for the glory of God, then I know I, my next question is, well, how do I know how I'm doing that? Well, the scriptures right. tell you and, and the scriptures will tell you who God is and what he desires and the scriptures will tell you what he expects of you. And so your heart has been transplanted so that your desire is to live for uh, God, to live before his face and bring him glory. And so you can live and step out with confidence because right. he hasn't been silent. He has revealed his will. Yeah. You know, and I think a great place that you see this expressed in biblical terms is Psalm 37 verse 4 delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart okay yeah because the if you're delighting yourself in the Lord what's going to be the desires of your heart yeah it's going to be those things which further uh you know bring you more into the delight of the Lord um you know commit your way to the Lord trust in him and he will act uh, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So you you have this. Uh, it's funny. I, I think that all of this just really simplifies the Christian life, that, that rather than freaking out about whether I need to do this or do that and trying to, to kind of break it down into so many complex decisions that we can look at it in a much more simple sense. And in fact, I think. Uh, Some people get worried, like, well, what if this wasn't God's will for me to do this? Well, 
look, if you read through the book of Acts and you look at the, the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, one of the things you're going to recognize is that there were times where Paul had plans that were not God's plans. And guess what? God's plan prevails every time. You find things like, you know, we, we were going to go to such and such a place, but the Spirit forbid it. <laughs> it was not going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, and Paul would say things like, I recognize, you know, if God would uh, prosper me to go to a place, if he provides the means for it, uh, then I would love to do this. But nonetheless, he was always uh, being moved wherever the Spirit of God wanted him to. He just kept stepping forward, which is, again, what I love about what the, uh, you find there in the scriptures where it says, man makes his plans, but the Lord ordains his steps. You know, to, to kind of build off of that. I know that when I may make the Lutheran comment, what I'm referring to is their normative approach to worship versus the, the Puritan regulative principle that, well, what Scripture describes. But listen to Luther here when he talks about the issue of the heart and the freedom we have in Christ. Uh, this comes from a little booklet by Martin Luther on the Christian liberty. He says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. And then he says equally this statement, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all, because that's a matter of the heart, that Christ has created through the Spirit a new heart in me that desires to please the Lord. And now, well, I am not um, in duty to any, um, I am not a servant of any other than Christ, at the same time, I'm in duty to all and I am to serve all because I am to love my neighbor as Christ has loved me. And so there's this sense that that um, there's this perfect joining of the freedom, but the freedom is used for the glory of God. And that, that, that capturing of the two, that we're not in bondage, we're we don't have to be afraid that we're going to make a, a, a left turn when we should have made a right and now our whole life is ruined. We're, we're free to live in the glory of God because of what Christ has done. We live in Christ. But in living in Christ, we have been given a love and a heart to serve him for his glory, which means we're serving our neighbors. We're loving our neighbors. We're, we're going out of our way to care for others. And in, in a sense, this brings more... Uh, more opportunity to glorify God as we step out to seize to uh, to live before the face of God in everything we do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love this man. This is real rubber meets the road, like ground level practical theology. Uh, this has taken us down to the day by day of taking it out of the theoretical or the hypothetical and bringing it down to real talk. Uh, you know, this is this is life. And I think sometimes we so overcomplicate these things that it stresses us out. And you know, and particularly to bring this back around to the issue of sanctification. What about our sin? I mean, obviously, we make decisions uh, that are not good. And, and so what about that? You know, as we live before the face of God— uh, as we live in this place of blessing, yet we still struggle with our sin. And so how does this speak to that? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm reminiscent of 
when um, when Paul has a thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what that thorn in the flesh is, and I know there's a lot of of people who who uh, have have guessed at it, and some said it was his eyesight, some said it maybe it was a a, a contentious person uh, that he was he was dealing with, and others think possibly it was a struggle against some particular sin. But um, the repeated phrase in there, as he seeks to have this uh, and pleads to have this thorn in the flesh removed, is God's answer, my grace is sufficient for you. And there is a sense in which, as we wrestle against uh, the, the struggle of sin, as we try to put it to death, because that is the pursuit of holiness, is, is to live to righteousness and to put to death the sinful nature. But there are sins that we struggle with that, that are, uh, seem almost uh, impossible to kill from a human standpoint. And they are from a human standpoint, apart from the work of the Spirit in us and, and the grace of God. It's, it's, not, it's not possible to put those things to death. But it may take longer. It may take all of life. We may never see total victory over particular sins in this life. And we keep coming back to remembering that uh, my grace is sufficient for you. And we ask questions yeah. like, well, why would God allow that? Why wouldn't God just give us instantaneous victory over these sins? And so work that out a little bit more, Chris, in, in the sense of just daily yeah, life. Yeah, No, see, I think you're right. We would like to jump straight from justification to glorification. And it's funny because I think in our thinking, we think that makes sense. Why not? <laughs> you know? But yet God has uh, inserted this other process in between justification and glorification, which we call sanctification. And that is this gradual, ongoing process of being conformed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, it's funny, because you just mentioned there a few minutes ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is pleading with the Lord about this thorn in his flesh, that it should leave him. And you mentioned, uh, but the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for you, but there's something else right after that, too. Uh, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, Now, that is not to say that we ought to boast in our sin. Uh, it's not to say that we're like, oh, heck yeah, man, I'm a major sinner, and that's where Christ is glorified in me. No, we ought to recognize. In fact, I think one of the things that sanctification ought to be working in us is that that Christ-like character and recognition of of the wickedness of sin and hatred of sin, uh, but also to recognize that as we are gradually being conformed into the likeness of Christ, God has purpose in that. That in sanctification, this gradual process of sanctification, that God is being intentional in that. And that he ultimately has as its goal the glory of Christ. And I think one place that we see that is over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul there Uh, talking about uh, the glory of God, says, uh, but we now with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This, uh, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. 
So here you have this monergistic, <laughs> this comes from the Lord, uh, process of sanctification that is not instantaneous. You are being taken from one degree of glory to another. And the broader context of this would tell us that this is how God is glorifying himself in us, not by instantaneous perfection, but by this ongoing transformation in our lives. We have a hard time seeing that, but this is what the scriptures tell us about what is going on in our life. And so as we recognize we live before the glory of God or, or the, the face of God, as we live Coram Deo, uh, and we desire to see God glorified in us, this is how it's happening, is through this ongoing uh, process of sanctification that he is working out both for his glory and for our good. To throw a little love to our mutual friend, uh, Will Bassett, uh, our Welsh friend, I should say, right? Uh, mm -hmm. he, he pointed me in the direction of a, of a uh, Calvinistic Methodist, by the name of Thomas Charles, and he wrote a um, a little uh, uh, essay on the means of mortifying sin, and he makes this one statement, which I absolutely have kind of fell in love with. He says, "Christ is poison to sin. Christ is poison to sin." And what that means is that our focus on Christ, our being in Christ, our living before Christ. It's Christ is the one who's killing sin, not the more righteous deeds we do, not the more right. effort we give, not the more confidence we have, but the confidence in Christ. Our, 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 Christ is our rescuer. Christ is our savior. And in his time, he will rescue us perfectly from all that would ail us, all that would create us misery, all that would harm us. Christ will perfectly, sufficiently rescue us. Our Christ is poison to sin, not we ourselves, not by our strength, not by our might. And I think that's where oftentimes we become, we think we're doing righteous things for God's glory when really we're only pursuing our own glory. And so God allows us to continue to struggle so that we have to lean more on Christ. And in that, in that battling, we're seeing that Christ is our only hope. Christ is our only our only, our only victor. And so that as we lean on Christ, we realize he's the poison to sin, not, not our own efforts. And I'm just encouraged by those kinds of simple thinking, which point us back to the gospel so that we don't steer off course. Right. And to bring this all kind of full circle, I think, you know, we can recognize that it can be a scary thing to recognize that we live before the face of God, that we live Coram Deo, but it also ought to remind us of the amazing place of blessing and favor that we exist in in Christ, that we live in the place where God's glory ever shines upon us in favor. And uh, what, what riches God has lavished upon us in his son. Hmm. Good stuff. So we've looked really briefly at the way we live before the face of God in decision-making, and, and we've looked how we live before the face of God in, in, um, in dealing with sin and sanctification. But how do we live before the face of God in regards to uh, everyday affairs, just, just the things we carry out every day? How do we make sure that, that we're living before the face of God in that regard? 
Well, you know, it's funny because in one sense, you know, you've, you've all, you've, what is that Simpsons meme where it's Ned Flanders and he's like looking through the window and it's always captioned, Jesus is watching. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it's always used in such a lame way. But there is a reality to, yes, God is present. Uh, you're not sneaking anything by the Lord. God is near. He, he is present. He is, we, we, are, we are ever living before his face. And I think that that ought to cause us to live with a sense of holy fear, uh, with a sense of awe and, and uprightness to know that, uh, that we ever live before the face of our Savior. That's that's good, man. That's good. Um, I want to go back to the Ned Flanders example. I, <laughs> out of everything you just said, I want to go back to the Ned Flanders example. <laughs> Let's go back to Ned. <laughs> because Let's I, talk about I that. think I think that's you know it's a Simpsons cartoon caption, but it is the way many Christians live. We live not looking as Christ our strength, not live as though Christ is our hope. We live in this, he's looking for us to screw up so he can throw the lightning rods from heaven at us. And, uh, and we, uh, I just, I struggle with that, that concept that, that the world offers of, of God, the, the angry father from heaven who's just looking to be your killjoy to the fact that in Christ and living before the face of God is your ultimate joy, is your ultimate um, happiness as going back to my Psalm 42, that, that, that it, it's before the face of God that we have the, 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 the eternal happiness we so desperately long for. So in these mundane things, whether it's literally making the bed in the morning, uh, making the kids lunches, uh, uh, you know, going to work, these things that we do day in, day out, washing clothes, uh, doing dishes, these are things we can still capture in the glory of God because we live in his presence. We, we, we're not earning his presence. We live in his presence and he's right. given us the very breath to do these things. Um, you know, there was a there was a book that was written, and I'm not recommending it, but I remember it got me thinking, and I didn't like, there were things I didn't like about the book, but there was one aspect of it that it was Brother Lawrence Practicing the Presence. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, Chris. And I had to read it when I was in a school, and they kind of threw it at me and said, you have to read this. And when I read it, the the idea was that this this guy who was a monk he was he was a, a brother and he was worked in the kitchen but how he was living in the presence of God even there in in silence and just doing his daily duties and I think there's a sense in which some of us try to earn God's pleasure by doing things as opposed to just practicing being in His pleasure because of Christ's finished work. And I think right. I think there's some truth to that that can be captured out of that that I don't want us to miss. Uh, again, I'm not saying go grab the book off the bookshelf. I'm just saying there's something there that really uh, I captured for me how much of my Christian life early on, everything was being, well, if I'm going to live for God's glory, I have to constantly be battling. I got to be a warrior. And I don't want to say that there isn't a battle and there, there is obviously a, a physical struggle, a spiritual struggle. 
but but there's a sense in which the victory's already won, amen? And that victory's won mm-hmm. in Christ, and we practice the presence of, of living in Christ. Right, and, you know, that's the thing is we recognize, uh, I think it was St. Patrick who's quoted as saying, you know, uh, Christ before me, Christ with me, Christ in me, uh, you know, <laughs> that whole kind of thing, uh, that we recognize wherever we go, as we're going to work, as we're going to the store, as we're going about the mundane things of our life, that Christ is ever with us, um, which also means something else. And it's funny because I've kind of heard this put down recently in some uh, in some Reformed circles, which startles me a little bit, but the understanding that all of life is worship, that that we never stop worshiping. Um, you know, wherever we go, whatever you do, whether whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, you're going to work, you're going to school, uh, you're with your kids, you're with your wife, you're by yourself, whatever you're doing, do it to the glory of God. And I, I think that as we recognize that we live Coram Deo, that we, we recognize that Christ is with us in those places, that, that everything we do in the way we act and the, the way we serve others, the way we love others, the way we treat others, uh, out of our love for Christ, that that is an act of worship in that uh, as they see Christ in us, it brings glory to him. And so remembering that uh, wherever we go, whatever we're doing, that we're doing it under the glory of God, that there is nothing that escapes his eye, uh, that there's never a place where we are not before the face of God, informs us that everything we do is an act of worship. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it ought to move us to remember uh, to make that uh, act of worship an act of worship unto the Lord. Yeah, I mean, the regulative principle applies more than just to your Sunday morning worship to kind of bring the catechism back in here. This idea that, that I'm to live to the glory of God is every aspect of my life. It, it's, it's, not just, it's not just the worship on Sunday morning. But in the scripture is what is given as the rule to direct me how to do that. And as I really look at that and I look through that lens, if if I want to please my wife, right? If I want to, if I want to love her, Mother Day, Mother's Day is coming up. And as, as you look at Mother's Day, you want to, you want to, I'm going to buy my wife a gift to say I love her. Well, I'm going to hopefully get her something she enjoys rather than just something that I enjoy, you know? You know, and, hey, wife, I, I got you something for the Jeep. Isn't that great? You know, I don't think my wife would find too much joy <laughs> in, 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 you know, in, in, some, in some new wheels for the Jeep. That wouldn't bring her joy. But, but she has told me things that she loves, things that, that, that brings her joy. And, and I think we have to apply that same principle to Scripture, that out of a heart for love, and this heart for love isn't something I've conjured up. It's what God has given me. We call that right. grace. That's the new heart. It's the, the Ezekiel 36, the Jeremiah 31, this description of the new heart that I've been given now desires to please God. Why would I not go to the scriptures and let that direct me how I please him and seek to live in the presence of his glory, always remembering, even when I fail, that it's Christ who makes it 
and, and, and it's done perfectly in Christ. So there's still joy even in that moment of living for Christ as I battle sin, as I put to death those things that are wrestling against me. But remembering my ultimate victory is in Christ. Even my daily victories are in Christ. Every Every victory is in Christ. So live in his presence uh, before the face of God for his glory. Um, I just want to kind of pound that point. I hope, I hope uh, I'm being helpful there. No, no, I think that that's great, man. I mean, uh, I think that really actually sums it all up very well. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I just think about all the things that we do. Um, we, 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 we're, we live in a society that is very driven for what do I get? What, what, what's in it for me? Uh, whether it's a job and what, you know, what, what, what reward do I get at the end of the day? What's my, what's my bonus? Uh, if I, if I run a, if I compete in a sport, what trophy do I get? Everybody needs a trophy. Everybody needs to be patted on the back and given a title. Um, we're very driven by what's in it for me. And I think this before the face of God really reorients us to say, it's really all about living for him because it's yeah. in Amen. him and through him and by him that all things exist. And so really I want it to live all for him. And that makes it easy. It makes it easy when you're making decisions. It makes it easy remembering when I'm battling sin. It makes it easy when I'm doing the mundane things of life. All of it is for him. And uh, it's for his glory, not mine. Amen, man. With that, I guess we'll say, have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.